Greetings, friends and brethren. This is Dr. Bob Teal for the Continuing Church of God. And I want to talk about predestination and your selection. You know, were you predestined to be called? I hope so. Maybe you were. Now, does that mean that your ultimate fate was determined in advance? No. Many people just don't understand what predestination is and what it's not. Does the Bible actually talk about predestination? Well, yes, it does. I want to read a couple of scriptures. Let me start with Ephesians chapter 1, uh, starting in verse 4, to read something that the Apostle Paul taught. Ephesians 1, verse 4. Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestined us to the, to adoption as son by Jesus Christ to himself according to his good pleasure of his will. Notice that we are predestined for adoption as God's children. Some are predestined to be called in this age, but most of humanity certainly has not been predestined to be lost. Now I also want to go to Ephesians 1, starting in verse 11. Paul wrote, in him also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, that we who first trusted in Christ should be the praise of his glory. Now, Christians were predestined to be called, but we've got to choose whether or not we're going to be faithful. You do have a choice. Choice to be part of the elect or to choose not to be if God has called you. When you're predestined, you're not predestined to be lost, but to be the praise of God's glory. Let's go to Romans chapter 8. I want to read several verses here, starting in verse 28 that the Apostle Paul wrote. And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he predestined, these he also called. Whom he called, these he also justified. These he justified, he also glorified. Again, predestination has to do with predestined to be called to be a child of God. Not that you're predestined to fry forever or to be lost. None of the places in the Bible that talk about predestination says anything about being predestined to be lost. Now, years ago, I heard of something called Calvinism, which is something to do with a type of Protestantism. And I heard of John Calvin. John Calvin was an early and famous Protestant reformer. Uh, he believed in all kinds of things that we the Church of God don't agree with. But he came up with a system uh, related to predestination, which has now been developed, and it's called five-point Calvinism. And it goes, has some to do with his views of predestination, and many people have gone for this and accepted it. Now, I actually found a report about this uh, years ago from the Bible Advocate, which is put out by uh, Church of God Seventh Day. And so on these five points, uh, called TULIP, the T stands for total depravity, according to Calvinism. 
All men fell in Adam, leaving them dead in sin and incapable of responding positively to God. Yet, you don't have to go there, but Ecclesiastes 7 verse 29, the Bible says that God made man upright, but they've sought out many schemes. And this whole total depravity uh, view doesn't seem to take that into consideration. Now, a lot of what I'm going to go through are the free book, booklet we have called Is God Calling You? It's available for free at the ccug.org website. Go into the literature tab under books and booklets and you can find it. And you can read it. We don't ask for your email address. You can read it privately. You can study this. Again, because I'm going to go over lots of scriptures as well as the rest of the uh, points of five-point Calvinism. And if God's calling you, it's something you really want to take seriously. And the booklet is designed to help you do that. Now, it's true that the Bible says that in Adam all die. That's in 1 Corinthians 15, 22. But it also teaches that men are capable of responding positively to God's calling. And in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 22, the Apostle Paul states, For as in Adam all die, so even so in Christ shall all be made alive. All will be made alive means all will have an opportunity for salvation. In Genesis 18.25, Abraham declared, Shall not the judge of the earth do right? Well, certainly, properly offering salvation to everyone, either in this age or the age to come, is the right thing that a God of love would do. There would be no point of fulfilling Jesus' uh, teachings in Matthew 24, 14, or uh, Matthew 28, 19, 20 about to go all the world if all humans could not respond, if God already predecided who was going to make it and who wasn't. And although God has to do the calling, if he's calling, you need to respond. Now the second point of TULIP is letter U. This stands for unconditional election. From eternity past, God chose certain men to be saved by his grace without regard to any merit foreseen in them. Now, it's true, as we read in Ephesians, that God predestined that the elect would be saved, and he does this by his grace, Ephesians 2.8. But, what you, and your faith has something to do with it as, as your acceptance. But the Bible says God wants none to perish, and that's why God is only calling some in this age. You know, Jesus made it clear that many are called and few are chosen. And this indicates that uh, salvation in this age has some conditions or all those who are called would be chosen. Now since the Bible says God is all-knowing and God is just, there was some, logic, some logical reason that God selected some not that the, uh, those selected are better than others, but, but because God knows who he can call, who can make it. Now the third point of Calvinist uh, tulip, again, we don't believe in this, limited atonement. God sent his son to make full and effective payment only for the sins of the elect, those he had predestined for salvation. Now that is absolute blasphemy. It's a clear contradiction of scripture, uh, God sent his son so all can be saved. 
And you know, Protestants like to quote John 3.16. So let's go ahead and quote this. But they sometimes seem to miss verse 17. And I want to read both of those. This will be from the New King James. John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Not just the elect. I want to go to 1 John 4. I'm going to read, uh, uh, starting verse 8, which says, God is love. I'll continue. After it says God is love, as John writes, In this the love of God was manifest toward us, that God has sent his only begotten Son into the world, that we might live through him. And this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us, and he sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought to love one another. God is love. Now, there's not one verse in this entire book that said God's atonement is limited to the elect who are now being called. And in 1 John, if you're still in 1 John, well, John, 1 John 2, verse 2 says, And he himself, that's Jesus, is a propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also the whole world. Propitiation means an atonement offering. And John is saying, look, Jesus didn't just die for the elect. He died for everyone, which again is a contradiction to the tulip position of Calvinists. You say, but various ones are lost. Well, Luke 19, starting in verse 9, we find out Jesus came to save the lost. Luke 9, starting in verse 9. Luke 19, verse 9. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because he also is the son of Abraham. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. Jesus came to save the lost, not just a small amount of the elect. And in John 12, 47, Jesus said, And if anyone hears my words and does not believe, I do not judge him. For I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. The idea that Jesus came to save more than just a few elect clearly is taught in the New Testament. Now, is Jesus intending to draw all to him in order to eternally punish the most or to save them? Jesus came to bear the sins of many, as it says in uh, Hebrews 9.28. Salvation is going to be offered to all who ever lived. With some understanding it in this age and, and everyone else in the age to come. The Bible simply does not teach this idea of limited atonement. And I'm looking over here because there's another book, in this case it's a, more of a book than a booklet, Universal Offer of Salvation. Now in the Continuing Church of God, we do not teach universal salvation, which means everybody will be saved no matter what. We teach that the Bible, through hundreds of scriptures, by the way, which are in this free book, shows that uh, all will have an opportunity for salvation, including those who did not know before, and that this is part of God's plan why would God have such a plan? In order to save the most number. 
Look, most people agree that God is love, all-knowing, all-powerful, all-wise. Certainly, God came up with a plan of salvation that works for the overwhelming majority. And for those who refuse at the end to accept God's way of life, they will be put out of their misery. We teach what's known as annihilation for those who don't want to turn to God. Now, the fourth point of TULIP, the I stands for irresistible grace. Those God elected for sal to salvation and for whom Christ died effectively calls by regeneration from spiritual death, thus rendering them capable of expressing saving faith. Now, the Bible is clear that only those God calls can be saved, John 6, 44. But also that those who are called can turn from it, 2 Peter 2, 21. So it's not irresistible grace. People don't always respond to the calling. Now, Calvinists, they realize that the predestined are called now, but they don't believe that anybody else has another opportunity for salvation. The, the Apostle Paul, in Romans 10, verse 20, wrote, but Isaiah is very bold and says, I was found by those who did not seek me. I was made manifest to those who did not ask for me. This is talking about an age to come that the Calvinists don't teach. Calvinists don't seem to understand that Christians are a type of first fruit. You don't have to go there, but James 1, verse 18, the Bible says, Of his own will he brought us forth by the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. And James is the only one who wrote about this. Paul did in Romans 8, verse 23. Not only that, but we also who have the first fruits of the Spirit. Now, the idea of first fruits does not apply a later fruit or a latter harvest. Now, the day of Pentecost in Exodus 34:22 is called the Feast of First Fruits. And today, Pentecost pictures that God is calling some now, but God's going to call others. And one reason that the Calvinists and many don't understand that is because they don't keep God's holy days. God's plan of salvation is laid out in His holy days, holy days that Jesus kept, holy days that the apostles kept, holy days that Gentile Christians kept, and other, and other early Christians kept, and holy days that uh, various Christians have kept throughout the centuries. This book is also free at the ccog.org website. I want to go to 1 Timothy 2. Maybe you should go over there. Because this is something that I don't think Calvinists understand. 1 Timothy uh, 2, starting in the middle of verse uh, 3. God our Savior, who desires all men to be saved. But God desires all men to be saved, so he did not have some plan to only call 2% of the population. And to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and man, the man Jesus Christ, who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time. People read right over that. think due time is this is the only possible time. And in a previous sermon, we go over the passage in the, in the Bible about this being a day of salvation. 
By the way, your Bible does not say this is the day of salvation. It's the only day of salvation, the only possible day. It does not say that. Oh, a lot of his translations put that out. But in the original Greek, for example, the New Testament, the literal standard version, gets it right. That now is a day of salvation. It's, and it, it's the day for those who are being called. It's a day because God has a plan to call others later in their due time. Why in their due time? because they'll be more willing to accept it then. In Ephesians 1 verse 10, Paul also wrote that in the dispensation of the fullness of the times, he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth in him. And when's he going to do this? In the dispensation of the fullness of times, which is not this age. It will be later. Now, the fifth and last point of TULIP is the P. That's called perseverance of the saints. Those God elected in Christ, called in regeneration and justified by faith, He continually quickens so they will never fall from His grace, but only enter eternal glory. That is a clear contradiction of Scripture. I want to go to uh, Matthew 12, starting verse 31. Jesus says, Matthew 12, 31, Therefore I say to you, every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven men, but the blasphemy against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven men. Anyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man, it will be forgiven him. But whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven him, either in this age or the age to come. Which, by the way, Jesus is asserting correctly, of course, those, but no, there is an age to come. Now, as far as possibly falling away, let's go to Hebrews 6. I'm going to start with verse 4. Because if you truly have received God's Holy Spirit and you turn against it, this, was, this would be your opportunity. Hebrews chapter 6, verse 4 says, For it's impossible for those who were once enlightened and have tasted the heavenly gift and have become partakers of the Holy Spirit and have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the age to come. If they fall away, to renew them again to repentance, since they crucify again for themselves the Son of God and put Him to shame. Thus, salvation can be lost. You have free will. Peter would have no reason to say, for example, in 2 Peter 1, 10, 11, to make your calling election sure if you couldn't stumble and fall. And the Apostle Paul wrote something similar, if you will, in 2 Corinthians uh, 13, and I'll read verse 5. Examine yourselves as to whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Do you not yourselves know that Christ, Jesus Christ is in you unless you are indeed disqualified? The fact that you can be disqualified is proof that salvation is not guaranteed under any and all circumstances. Now I want to go to uh, Mark chapter 4. And I'll be reading a fair amount from there. Jesus was clear that not everybody would respond to the message for different reasons. And he told some parables. For example, uh, Mark 14, verse 4, starting verse 14. Actually, get this right. Sorry to stumble over that. Mark 4, starting at verse 14. Uh, says, the sower sows the word. You'll notice that's actually what this cover is based upon. It's an old a painting, uh, the painting of the sower. 
It's supposed to be related to this parable. And these are the ones by the wayside where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan comes immediately and takes away the word that was sown in their hearts. These likewise are the ones sown on stony ground. When they hear the word immediately, they receive it with gladness. And they have no root in themselves, and so endure only for a time. Afterward, when tribulation or persecution arises for the word's sake, immediately they stumble. Now these are the ones sown among thorns. They are the ones who hear the word, and the cares of this world, deceitfulness of riches, and the desires of other things, entering in, choke the word, and become unfruitful. So there are people who have an opportunity, but various things, they, they doesn't get in the way. Now I'm going to go to Luke 14. Starting in verse 16. Then he said to them, this is Jesus, a certain man gave a great supper and he invited many. He sent a servant, su servant at supper time to say to those who were invited, come, for all these things are not ready. But they all with one accord began to make excuses. I say to you that none of these men who are invited shall taste my supper. But Jesus admonished people to endure to the end. Um, but I'm going to read where he says this a few times, for example, Matthew 10, 22. You'll be hated by all for my name's sake, but he who endures the end shall be saved. So even if they hate you, you're supposed to endure to the end, which suggests, by the way, there will be some who won't. Jesus also said in Matthew 24, 13, he who endures the end will be saved. As far as being hated, in Mark 13, 13, Jesus said, you'll be hated by all for my name's sake, but he who endures the end shall be saved. You know, the grammatical implication of this is if you don't endure the end, you won't be saved. Furthermore, the book of Revelation records seven statements that, be, that uh, those who uh, overcome will make it. And this is uh, Revelation uh, two, 2 and 3 as well as Revelation 21.7. Now, I want to go to Revelation 22, the end of the Bible. Because it tells us that it's only those who do his commandments who have the right to the tree of life. Revelation 22, verse 14. Blessed are those who do his commandments, that they might have the right to the tree of life, and may enter through the gates of the city. But outside are dogs and sorcerers, and sexually immoral, and murderers and idolaters, and whoever loves and practices a lie. Those who violate God's Ten Commandments and don't repent of doing this they're not going to make it. The saints have patience and they keep His commandments. That's what it says in Revelation 14, verse 12. But many people have sadly fallen for various anti-Ten Commandments articles, arguments. Some say that they're done away. Or some say you don't really have to keep them. Or some say they have so many exceptions to them, you don't really need to keep them. But the reality is, early Christians kept them. Uh, they were numbered the same way we in the Continuing Church of God number them. And I'm holding up a, a booklet we have on uh, the Ten Commandments, uh, the Decalogue, Christianity, and the Beast. In a very short period of time, the Beast will rise up, and the Beast and the Antichrist will violate the ten, all of the Ten Commandments and encourage people to do so as well. Don't be among those. Again, this is available at the ccg.org website. Now, perhaps I should mention, I alluded to this before, that Tulip basically indicates only about 2% of people who've ever lived are going to be saved. 
because of God's love. And the remaining 98% have to be tormented for eternity because they've, they've sinned. Now, as it turns out, most of the people who've heard of the name of Jesus happen to be of uh, European stock or heritage. So I tend to consider Calvinism pretty well a, a racist doctrine because it, what about these people in Pacific Islands who never heard the name of Christ? Uh, how about people in the Americas prior to the time Columbus came? How about people in uh, communist countries where if they've heard it, they don't have any information about it? Uh, over decades, I realized communism was a little more open than when I was growing up. But there were still lots of people who didn't hear and people who've never heard the true word of God. They've heard parts of it. Calvinists say, say that's just too bad. They were just bad. They deserve to be punished for eternity. We in the continuing church of God don't believe God of love have a plan that would fail like this. But again, the Calvinists do. Uh, what they call tulip is simply not, uh, not biblical. All right. Leaving the Calvinists, it says in uh, 1 John 2, 6, that Christians should live like Jesus did. John wrote, He who says he abides in him ought himself ought to walk just as he walked. And although Jesus came to be a king, he didn't live like a king in his kingdom because his king was not of this world, he said in uh, John 18, verse 36. Well, what are those, about those predestined to this age? Well, we are predestined if we'll accept it, to be kings and priests and reign with him. But we don't see that now. And the book of Hebrews explains that we don't see that now. Uh, for example, Hebrews 2, starting in verse 6. But one testified in a certain place, saying, What is man that you're mindful of him, or the son of man that you take care of him? You've made him a little lower than the angels. You've crowned him with glory and honor. and set him over the works of your hands. you put all things in subjection under his feet. For in that he put all in subjection under him, he left nothing that is not put under him. But now we do not yet see all things put under him. But we see Jesus, who is made a little lower than the angels, for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that he, by the grace of God, might taste death for everyone. For it's fitting for him, for whom are all things, and by whom are all things, in bringing many sons to glory to make the captain of their salvation perfect through sufferings. For both he who sanctifies and those who are being sanctified are all of one. For which reason he's not ashamed to call them brethren, saying, I will declare your name to my brethren in the midst of the assembly. I will sing praises to you. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, here am I in the children whom God has given me. We have a great destiny if we'll respond to the calling. Now, do you know what is the uh, second most looked up verse online according to Protestant sources? It's actually Jeremiah uh, 29, verse 11. And I want to read that. Jeremiah 29, verse 11. For I know the, the thoughts that I have, I think, towards you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. Protestants tend to quote that verse as proof that God has a plan. And God does have a plan. And he has a plan for you. But they don't seem to understand what the plan is. And they don't like to read the next verses usually. Verse 12. Then you will call upon me and go and pray to me, and I will listen to you. And you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. 
And I will be found of you, says the Lord, and I will bring you back from your captivity. I will gather you from all the nations, from all the places which I have driven you, says the Lord, and I will bring you to the place from which I caused you to be carried away, captive. So you'll notice, if you read what Jeremiah says, God's plan is exile for Christians. God, we are to be ambassadors for God's kingdom. God didn't call us to be hermits, um, but to support his work, and to, which includes, by the way, building character individually so God can use us to serve him and to serve others to make eternity better for ourselves, each of us individually, and for everyone else. Anyway, I'm going to go to Matthew 25. Matthew 25, starting verse 24. Jesus is telling a parable of the talents. He says, And he who had received the one talent came and said, Lord, I knew you were a hard man, reaping where you haven't sown and gathering where you haven't scattered seed. And I was afraid. And I went and hid your talent in the ground. Look, you get to have which is yours. But his Lord answered and said to him, You wicked and lazy servant. You knew I reap where I haven't sown and gather where I haven't scattered abroad. So you ought to deposit my money with a banker so at my coming I would at least receive my own back with interest. So take the talent away from him and give it to the one who's got ten talents. Now, a lot of people hear the word but don't do what they should with it. I'm going to go to James 1. Book of James 1, starting verse 22. Be doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For anyone who's a hearer of the word, and not a doer, he's like a man observing his natural face in a mirror. He observes himself, and he goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. But he who looks in the perfect law of liberty, and continues in it, and is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this one shall be blessed in what he does. If anyone amongst you thinks he's religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his own heart, this one's religion is useless. Pure and undefiled religion before God and the Father is this, to visit widows and orphans in their trouble and to keep oneself unspotted from the world. Christians are supposed to do good and support the work. I mentioned about being ambassadors. Paul wrote in... Uh, now, 2 Corinthians 5, verse 20. That now then, we are ambassadors for Christ. And I want to go to Ephesians 6, because Paul wrote about himself being an ambassador. Ephesians 6, verse 17. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Yes, we're supposed to rely on the Word of God. Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful to this end, with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. And for me, that utterance may be given to me, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel, for which I am ambassador in chains, that I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. Now this means we're supposed to live differently than the world, if we've been called. 1 John 2 going to start in verse 15. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, 
The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world is passing away in the lust of it, but he who does the will of God abides forever. Well, you actually have to do something, the will of God, to try to live your life that way. As far as the world goes, you know, the prophecy in uh, Revelation 18 about uh, Babylon, we're told to come out of her, lest we share in her sins and receive of her plagues. So we know we're not supposed to just try to be part of the world. Instead, Peter wrote, 1 Peter 2, I'll pick it up in verse 9, but you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, who once were not a people, but now are the people of God, who had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. As ambassadors, we're supposed to be God's examples of witnesses. Ambassadors don't just hide and take care of themselves. They support the work of their government. In this case, our case, the coming government of the kingdom of God. As far as Christians being an ambassador or being ambassadors, we also have a booklet on this. Again, at ccog.org. Christians, ambassadors to the kingdom of God. Got a lot of information on how to live your life as a Christian and remind all that we are to be ambassadors for Christ. Now, in Jeremiah 29, verse 28, Jeremiah wrote, For he has sent us, sent to us in Babylon, saying, The captivity is long, build houses and dwell in them, plant gardens and eat their fruit. So those who were in exile were supposed to build and produce fruit. Now, planting, planting takes faith. Translating materials into multiple languages, including many where our church doesn't have supporters or has almost none, takes faith. But that's part of the work that we in the Continuing Church of God are doing. And just like those who are exiled, we're supposed to produce fruit. But Jesus said in John 15, 16, he didn't choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit. Now I want to go to Luke. Luke 12. Read quite a few verses there. Luke 12, starting verse 42. Jesus said, Who then is that faithful and wise steward, whom his master will make ruler over his household, to give them their portion in due season? Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. Truly I say to you, he'll make him ruler over all he has. But if that servant says in his heart, my master delays his coming. Begins to beat the male and female servants, eat and drink, and get drunk. You say, well, I don't do that. But you might be delaying what you should be doing. The master and the servant will come on a day when he's not looking for him, or an hour when he's not aware. And will come into and appoint him his portion with the unbelievers. This person kind of knew, but apparently didn't believe it well enough. And the servant who knew his master's will and did not prepare himself or do according to his will will be beaten with many stripes. But he who did not know yet committed things deserving of stripes will be beaten with few. For everyone to whom much is given, from him much will be required. Him who uh, much been committed, 
they will ask of him even more. Now the plan God has for us is to live as strangers in this world, yet to produce fruit, so we can be rewarded when he comes. But also, so we can produce fruit in ourselves, in terms of building character, so that we will be able to give love in a unique way throughout eternity, again, to make eternity better for not only ourselves, but for everyone who will accept God's plan. Now, we have a booklet I want to hold up. Apostle Paul mentioned about a mystery before, and I'll hold this one up, the mystery of God's plan. Why did God create anything? Why did God make you? This goes into depth, goes into things other religions don't know, and even various Church of God groups don't seem to fully grasp in terms of what God's plan is. Uh, yes, God's plan does include things such as deification, etc., but it goes beyond that. You know, God's begotten children are uh, preparing to be married to Christ. The Bible says that judgment is on God's people now in preparation for our birth into the kingdom of God, which will happen when Jesus returns. Is it any wonder that the Apostle Paul calls what we have a holy calling? Or he tells God's called people to, quote, walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you are to be called. Um, that's Ephesians 4, 1, Old King James. Now I want to go to uh, first, uh, Peter 1, verse 15. How does a called and converted person walk worthy of vocation? Well, Peter wrote, as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. We're supposed to live as Christ lived. Further down in that book, second uh, chapter, 1 Peter 2, starting verse uh, 21, Peter wrote, For to this you were called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving for us an example that you should follow his steps who committed no sin, nor was deceit found in his mouth. You're being called by God. You need to live as Jesus lived. And I talked to you a bit more on Christians that it can be found in our book of Christians Ambassadors of the Kingdom of God. Now, God is in charge of everything in this physical realm. Do you really believe God? You're in Second Peter, so we're going to move to... Uh, Chapter 1, this time verse 10 and 11. Therefore, brethren, be even more diligent to make your call and election sure. For if you do these things, you will never stumble. So if you're diligent to make your calling and election sure, you will not stumble. For so an entrance will be supplied to you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, coming kingdom of God. You don't have to go there, but Hebrews 11, verse 6 says, He who comes to God must believe that he is, and that he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Look, we know that demons believe there's a God. I don't think it takes any faith to believe that there's a God. I also don't think it takes any faith to believe that uh, Jesus came. And we've got a book, uh, I'll find it over here, Proof Jesus is the Messiah, which I think uh, any open-minded person who looks at this will have to accept Jesus came and was... You may not agree with the whole concept of the Messiah, but um, I think I think we could, they can be proven. Just accepting that, there, that Jesus came is isn't really faith, but to diligently endure when the world hates you, and to live as a Christian, 
looking for the coming kingdom of God, that takes faith, particularly when things don't always go right. And with your calling, you have a choice. You're going to accept it or not. One of the reasons that the cover of this book uses the term selection, right over here, so it may show up there, is because you've got a choice. You have to select whether or not you're going to make your calling election sure. And this, again, involves more than just accepting Jesus as your Savior, but also being diligent to endure to the end. You know, since the 1930s, the Philadelphia era, the Church of God, from when it began, multiple millions have been reached with the true gospel through media like radio, uh, TV, the internet, publications, as well as personal evangelism. And in the uh, 21st century, the Continuing Church of God is doing that during this Laodicean era, and we've reached millions of people in over 200 countries and territories on the uh, internet, and through radio, publications, and in person. And from a large number of people who are reached, um, not too many of them are actually called, an even smaller percentage actually accepts it. The vast majority seem to pay little or uh, no attention, uh, or they go into some kind of tangent and then they don't act on it. A lot of people, they don't like this term, but they're really religious hobbyists. Yeah, they think just because they look at religion, that pleases God, but they don't really want to live as God wants them to live. It uh, reminds me of uh, Jesus' uh, parable, the king who had a marriage for his son. This is in uh, Matthew uh, 22. Jesus said, a kingdom of heaven is like a king. He had arranged this marriage for his son. He said, go and call out who will come. He asked the invited ones to come. He said, oh, we're all ready. Come. But they came up with different excuses. Ah, I've got a business i got to take care of. i got family issues. I'm going to get married. i got uh, I got to work at my job or, or whatever. And didn't listen. And then he called, said, well, call, call others. And he got somebody who showed up who would wear a wedding garment. And he threw him out. Even this person should have known it, that by the culture that's what he should have done. But then Jesus says, for many are called and few are chosen. Uh, God calls us by the proclamation of his gospel. But the majority reject it when they hear it. They pay little attention to it. And many who make some effort basically want to do it their way and not God's way. Only a few of the multiple millions who hear God's word uh, preached pay serious attention to it and truly repent. And those who do so tend to be more the poor of this world. And James wrote about that in James 2 verse 5. Has God not chosen the poor of this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which he promised to those who love him? You know, most of the rich and the noble and the powerful and the wise, they're complacent with their life. They don't think they need God's calling. They're wrong, but that's what they think. And many just don't want to respond. Now, is God calling you because you're smarter than everybody else? No. God has called the weak to confound the mighty, it says. In uh, 1 Corinthians uh, 1, I want to read verse 26. 
says, For you see your calling, brethren, that not many wise, according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. In the old Good News magazine of September 1974, it talked about not the best or the brightest, and, but that you responded to this call. And then it continued in Corinthians saying, But God has chosen the foolish things the world to confound the wise. God has chosen the weak things the world to confound the things which are mighty. And the base things of the world, the things which are despised, has God chosen. Yes, those things which are not, to bring to naught those which are. Why? That no flesh should glory in his presence. Why is God called the weak rather than the strong and the mighty? Because their chances becoming self-righteous and haughty of mind are significantly diminished. Human vanity and pride are obstacles to God's spirit. God can only work with someone who is humble and aware of his limitations. See 2 Corinthians 12, 9, 10. If you remember how little you are instead of how great you may think you are, then you can help get the work done by God's great spirit power. Not by night or by spirit, but by excuse me, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts, Zechariah 2 6. Pride is a major problem. Lucifer's pride caused him to reject God. Satanically influenced human beings have pride and personal selfishness unless these are reasons they reject God in this age. I mentioned Matthew 28, 19 through 20, so I'd like to read it. Jesus commissioned his church to reach the whole world. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. Now, the apostles were supposed to shake the dust off their feet when they left houses who wouldn't heed the message. The New Testament shows that some were interested, some were interested temporarily, and some were uh, affected by those who opposed the truth. Now, Jesus knew this would be the case. So, we go more into the parable of the sower again, which we've been up there. Luke chapter 8, starting verse 4. And when a great multitude had gathered, when they had come to him by every, every city, he, Jesus, spoke by a parable. A sower went to sow his seed. As he sowed, some fell by the wayside. It was trampled down. And the birds of the air devoured it. Some fell on a rock. As soon as it sprang up, it withered because it lacked moisture. Some fell among the thorns. The thorns sprang up and choked it. But others fell on good ground, sprang up, and yielded a crop of hundredfold. And we said these things, he cried, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Then his disciples asked him, What does this parable mean? He said to them, To you it's been known, given to know the mysteries of the kingdom of God. But to the rest it's been given in parables, that seeing they may see, and hearing they may not understand. Seeing they may not see, and hearing they may not understand. So the parable is this. The seed is the word of God. Those by the wayside are the ones who hear. Then the devil comes and takes away the word out of their heart, lest they should believe and be saved. But the ones on the rock are those, when they receive the word with joy, these have no root and believe for a while. In the time of temptation, they fall away. Which, of course, shows you can fall away. Now the ones who fell upon the thorn are those, when they've heard, they go out, and they're choked with care, with riches, the pleasures of life, and bring no fruit to maturity. They let other things get in the way. 
But the ones that fell in good ground are those who, having heard the word with a noble good heart, keep it and bear fruit with patience, which means they'll have to endure. Satan doesn't want any to be truly converted. And, you know, the seed, the fellow on a rock represents the word of God being received by people basically careless with it. You know, they seem to have a chance to be called, but it's not important enough in them. And again, those are the thorns. Like, yeah, well, I was kind of interested, but, you know, some other things happened, and so we finally give up. And which of those categories are you? Or hopefully you're in the one that fell on good ground. And you want to bear fruit. You're part of God's elect. Many didn't do not endure. If they made a selection toward accepting God's call, it wasn't a sincerely deep one. Sadly, many find all kinds of reasons or excuses not to endure and not support the work. They simply have not embraced their selection. Now, I'm going to go something else in uh, Luke chapter 14. Now, this time, starting verse 26, some stuff that Jesus taught there. He talks about um, if you come to him, you don't hate his, uh, your relatives, etc., you can't be his disciple. Uh, if, you, if you can't put up with things, you can't be it. He says, look, if you're going to build a tower, and you don't, shouldn't you sit down before you build a building see if you've got the money to finish it? Because otherwise you start and it's a waste and everybody's going to laugh at you. Uh, or if you're going to be involved in some kind of a battle with some army, don't you be sure you have some kind of a chance? So likewise, if you should count the cost, he says, but you need to forsake, if you don't forsake all, he says, you can't be my disciple. So a lot of people think the cost is too high. And many will not obey God because of family. Uh, particularly regarding things like uh, uh, God's holy days. And I just held up the booklet there before. Now, I want to go to 1 John 2, starting verse 5. Whoever keeps his word, truly the love of God is perfected in him. By this we know that we are in him. He who says he abides in him ought to walk just as he walked. And in 1 John 4, starting verse 9, In this the love of God was manifest toward us, that God has sent His only begotten Son into this world, that we might live through Him. And this is love, not that we love God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the perpetuation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought to love one another. We are to love and receive love. I'm going to go to Revelation 21. Those who are depressed about the suffering of today's world need to understand what the Bible teaches. Revelation 21 verse 3 says, after resurrections, God himself will be with them and be their God, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There'll be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There'll be no more pain, for former things have passed away. The happiness we will experience beyond what humans can imagine. Paul wrote that in 1 Corinthians 2.9. God has a plan for you. He shows love to you through the forgiveness of your sins. This is part of his plan of salvation. So you'll be able to show love throughout eternity. 
Philadelphian Christians are supposed to uh, reach the world with Christ's gospel of the kingdom and teach all things that Jesus commanded. This is a great opportunity to become part of. The biblical reality is the overwhelming majority of humankind today is neither saved nor lost. Their chance, their opportunity has not come yet. This isn't their time. Now God does want them to have a proper witness. But the opportunity for them to have salvation is coming uh, at a later time. This is not the time where there's some contest between God and Satan and God is definitely trying to save everybody that Satan is winning. Because according to most religions that profess Christ, Satan must be winning because most people, uh, since Jesus came, uh, did not accept Jesus and certainly didn't live as real Christians. But those now called, as it says in Hebrews 11.35, are invited to obtain a better resurrection. As true Christians build character now through tests opportunities, which will help us be able to better contribute to a coming to better tomorrow. God made you so you would be able to give love in a unique way. Well, how? Essentially, now, by living by faith and obedience to God in this life, Christians themselves are going to be changed and perfected after the first resurrection. Now, in the continuing church of God, we've got scattered brethren throughout the world, but in places such as uh, uh, North America, we don't have huge amounts of congregations uh, where we have a lot of people who can get together. If you don't have a congregation in your area, uh, hang in there. Uh, be faithful. Uh, Jesus said, you know, many are called, few are chosen. A lot of people don't have true faith in God. It says in Psalm 37, starting verse 4, Delight yourself also in the Lord, and he shall give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord, trust also in him, and he shall bring it to pass. He shall also bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as a noonday. Rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. Sometimes Christians have to wait and trust God to establish congregations in your area. We had somebody who came with us for a short time and then left, said, oh, you don't have a congregation in our area this time, so why left? Well, in the old radio church, God took years before people even got a visit, let alone had an opportunity to watch services like online like we have now. Uh, and Jesus promised the Philadelphians that they were going to be pillars. Pillars are willing to stand alone uh, if they need to. And pillars are foundational to a building. And of course, we should fellowship in the Sabbath when we can, and of course, on the Holy Days like the Feast of Tabernacles, which are other opportunities to do so. And in the Continuing Church of God, we hold the Feast of Tabernacles in places, many places around the world. And as far as being patient with the growth God gives to the church, the Continuing Church of God is and has been the fastest growing uh, ex-WC group, Church of God group, in the 21st century. Uh, we've grown the fastest, and we continue to grow the fastest. Uh, and some people think that's just still not fast enough because in, in their area, or they think they, their people in their area has to be called before people in other area. Jesus said he opens doors to Philadelphians and he closes some. And when doors open more in your area, hopefully God will call more. Because 
allow us to do, move this. In the end time, however, most Christians will not be Philadelphian Christians. They'll be Laodicean. They'll have their own priorities. Don't give up. You know, Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 10, 13, God's faithful you will, not, will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you're able to bear. And he also wrote in Philippians 4, 13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And also in Philippians, he said, being confident this very thing, he who's begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. If you do not give up on God, God will not give up on you. It says in Romans 8.28, all things work together for good, those who are called according to his purpose. There are various scriptures in the Bible about God's elect. Uh, the English word elect is arrived from uh, a Greek term, uh, electos, meaning picked out, chosen, or chosen by God. The elect are God's chosen ones. And in uh, John 15.16, Christ told disciples, it was God who does the choosing. God's elect are those he calls out of this world, those who are predestined and selected by God. But hopefully you'll accept God's selection because you have a choice. God opens up your, those he's called their minds to grasp and understand his plan, his word, and his will. Those he calls... Out of this darkened world to the light of the gospel of Christ, 2 Corinthians 4.4, 4, they collectively form what we call the church of God. And the English word for church, by the way, is derived from the Greek term ecclesiasta, or ecclesia, ecclesia, which means the called out ones. I'm going to list seven brief steps before we board in the kingdom of God. One, we've got to be called by God. Two, we must respond in faith to God's call. Three, then God chooses us and grants us repentance. Four, we need to be baptized and have hands laid upon us. Five, God then provides forgiveness, His Holy Spirit and grace. And as far as His Holy Spirit goes, the Bible says it's given to those who obey Him. Six, we need to strive to walk as Jesus walked. And seven, as Christians, we must endure as He who endures the end and be saved. This endurance confirms our selection. So we will therefore be resurrected, first resurrected, or his resurrection. We have to per persevere. We're not, we are not to give up. We must be faithful to death, or we'll never be born again in God's kingdom. Jesus said in John 3, 3, Most assuredly I say to you, unless one's born again, can't see the kingdom of God. And in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 50, the apostle Paul wrote, now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does corruption inherit in corruption. And there's a resurrection that comes. If you're willing to respond to God's word, truly respond to his calling. Strive to be a Philadelphian Christian. Uh, sadly, it's prophesied the majority would not do that in the end times. And Jesus said in Luke 18, verse 8, Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he really find faith on the earth? He will, but the majority of people will have a lukewarm faith uh, or follow a false type. There were some uh, strict uh, Laodiceans, if you will, throughout 
history prior to the time of Jesus. I heard a, a sermon once by uh, the late evangelist Carl McNair, he was explaining why he felt that the churches of Revelation 2 and 3 were also fulfilled uh, prior to the time uh, John saw the Revelation and wrote about it. Anyway, uh, to the church of Laodicea, this is uh, Revelation 3, verse uh, 14. So these say, says the Amen, the true witness from beginning of creation. I know your works. You're not cold nor hot. I wish you were cold or hot. Because you're lukewarm, not cold or hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. Because you say, I am rich, I become wealthy, I need nothing. You don't know that you're wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. Jesus said, I counsel you to buy gold refined in the fire, then you be rich. Uh, white garments, you may be clothed, that the shame of your nakedness may be revealed. And as many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. And I knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I'll come to him and be with him. I urge you to make your selection to be a Philadelphian Christian and not a Laodicean one. Don't be lukewarm. At Jesus' second coming to this earth as a global ruler, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, he's going to be joined by those who have been truly faithful. As it says in Revelation 17, verse 14, those with him, that's with Jesus, when he returns, are called, chosen, and faithful. As I said, Jesus has said, many were called and few were chosen. Even fewer ever become part of God's church, part of his elect, especially chosen ones, and even less in this Laodicean age. And Laodicea, by the way, is made of two words in Greek, which basically mean judgment of the people, the people decide. They don't have the humility to do what it takes. The works aren't cold, so they're not unchristian, but they're not hot. Instead, they're lukewarm, and Jesus said that's not acceptable. I want to uh, go to Revelation chapter 2, verse 10. Even if we're chosen by God and placed in His church to start off Philadelphia, we need to remain faithful. Revelation 2.10 Do not fear those things which you're about to suffer. Indeed, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison that you may be tested and have tribulation ten days. Be faithful unto death and I'll give you the crown of life. Sadly, there have been people who the severe trials came up, they didn't make it. And yes, the Bible does say that Philadelphians are going to be subject to uh, tribulation, persecution, particularly in Daniel chapter 11, uh, verses uh, 29 through uh, 35. So don't think, oh, I just got it made. Or when tribulation hits the, uh, persecution hits the Philadelphians, if uh, you're not part of the Philadelphian fellowship, they all oh, it's going to bother them. We'll be fine. Don't think that way, because Laodiceans will be subject to persecution after that. If you believe that the Bible means what it says and uh, says what it means, and you believe that God's calling you to support His work, if you truly hear and understand, you're probably being called by God. And hopefully you understand why you should work on this now. The Bible in Revelation 2 talks about those who overcome, those who have ears to hear, and those who say, those who are called now will have an opportunity to reign with Jesus Christ for a thousand years in the millennium. But different people have different attitudes toward this. 
I mentioned about the parable of the sower, and there's also the parable of the talents, so I'm not going to read all of those. But some people think, what's the least I can do? I think I'm better than somebody else I knew. They were in the church once, and they don't even attend ever, or they did this, or whatever. You don't want to be that way. First of all, if you are that way, you may not make it. Secondly, you probably would tend to be more definitely toward the Laodiceans. And third, it shows you don't really have faith. If you really believe the Bible, and you really believe eternity is going to last for eternity, and you'll have an opportunity for uh, to serve better, to love better, and to help more, surely you're not just trying to create by the least that you possibly can do. I want to read uh, Romans uh, 10, starting verse 8. If, after careful evaluation, you feel that God's calling you, what should you do? Romans 10, verse 8. What does it say? The word is near in your mouth and in your hearts. That is the word of faith which we preach, that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus, the Lord Jesus Christ and believe in your heart that God has raised you from the dead, you'll be saved. You know, God's is not a just-in-case religion. This is a tremendous opportunity he gives you. Verse 10. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For Scripture said, whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. There's no distinction between uh, Jew and Greek. The same Lord is over all, is rich to all who call upon him. And if God's calling you, what are you supposed to do? Acts 2, verse 38. What did Peter tell people? Repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for remission of sins. And you shall receive the gifts of the Holy Spirit for the promises to you and to your children and all who are far off, as many the Lord our God will call. He's making it very clear. Not just people there at roughly 31, 30 or 31 AD, the day of Pentecost, but those who are called now, are being called now, which may be, or probably are, including you if you're watching this. It's exciting to learn the truth, the pearl of great price. Well, the Bible says in Proverbs 25, verse 2, you don't have to go there, it's the glory of God to conceal a matter, but the glory of kings to search out a matter. God is calling his people to be kings and priests. You can read that in Revelation 5.10. As future kings, it's exciting to learn the truth of God Truth God's concealed from the world. Jesus spoke in parables so many wouldn't understand this age. That's what Jesus said he did. I mentioned this before, but this time I want to actually quote this. I want to go to Acts 5, uh, verse 31, 32. I want you to understand something the Apostle Peter said. And I'm reading this from the AFB. Him has God exalted by his right hand to be a prince and savior, it's a reference to Jesus, to give repentance and remission of sins to Israel. And we are his witnesses of these things, as is also the Holy Spirit, which God has given to those who obey him. Yes, God's Spirit is given to those who obey him. Hebrews 5.9 says that Jesus is the 
author of eternal salvation to those who obey him. So obedience is part of it. Now if you read, if you're watching this uh, sermon, this is helpful. If you uh, read and understand, for example, this booklet or what I've been saying in this sermon, that's a good, good first step. Maybe God is calling you. If you don't know uh, a minister uh, in the Continuing Church of God and want to know more or, or a leader there, you can go online to the ccg.org website, you go to the congregations page, the list of congregations, and have email addresses you can write uh, and uh, become counsel be counseling if you want to be baptized. Maybe you've been looking at church literature for a long time. And you should prove all things, hold fast, which is good. But also need to be a doer of the word, not a hearer only. And maybe you're puzzled about what would happen if you accept this in your life, what it might require. Well, you know, God does hold you responsible for what you know. As James wrote in James 4, verse 17. Therefore, to him who knows to do good and does not do it, to him it's sin. I hope you've understood the message that we've uh, mentioned, what we've been giving. As I said, we have ministerial counseling available at no cost or obligation. God has a glorious calling. If God is calling you, will you heed God's call? God's not calling all in this age, but if you're understanding, pretty good chance God is calling you. Believe the Word of God and act upon it. This is Dr. Bob Teal for the Continuing Church of God.